Well, back to Oregon kind of weather, huh? It's kinda, actually, I've seen a lot of rain this particular summer because when we were there in uh, Florida, this is their rainy season. They get about as much rain in the summer as we normally get in the wintertime, and so I've seen a lot of rain this summer. It's a little different. It's more in downpours. In fact, I'll tell you about one in just a, little, just a little while, but it's nice to come on back and feel the cool and know that fall is coming, and like I said, next week we'll give you lots more information about what's happening in the church this particular fall, all the programming and everything else that we're going to be doing to glorify the name of Jesus Christ right here on this corner. We are right now at the very end of a series that we've been calling, Are You Ready? And the reason is because there are several times within Scripture where we're specifically told to be ready. You have to be ready. We've already looked at three of those, and here's the three that we've looked at. First of all, you need to be ready for his return. Right under your sermon notes, if you want to follow along right there. We have to be, Jesus told us, to be ready for his return. This is what Scripture says. So Jesus said, so you also must, what? Be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. If it was so simple that we knew that on this particular date, this is when Jesus was coming back, that would be pretty easy. But if anybody ever says to you, well, I've looked at the Word and I've, I've studied everything and I know that on this date at this time Jesus is coming back, I guarantee you he's not coming back that time. Because Jesus told us nobody would ever know. The Father knows and nobody else. So you have to be ready all the time. It could be right now. Jesus, you have my permission. Wouldn't that be great? Well, I'll just go home. Wow, that would be lovely. But um, probably isn't going to happen, so I have to live my life. But I always have to be ready. The second time, this is what we looked at a couple weeks ago, is we have to be ready to be generous. Okay? I think most people would love to be generous with their money. They want to be able to give. They want to be able to give to so many great and worthy causes. They want to be able to be generous in giving back to the church because hopefully you trust the fact that the church is doing well with what you've given to us, which is coming to you from the Lord, and together with the wisdom of the leaders and everything else, we're, we're using it to glorify that. And most people want to be generous, but many people can't be generous. And you know why? Because you're not ready to be generous. You've overspent in some areas. You've, you've overcommitted. Your debts are too high. You're not setting to the side. That's why Scripture tells us if you're going to be generous, you have to be ready. You've got to have to come up with a plan. Okay? Think of it in advance, a budget, if you will. What are you going to give in according to your income, proportionally to your income? Set it aside and be ready to give that. Because if you don't do that, what will happen is if you only give what you have left over, you will wind up not being generous because there won't be anything left over. And when you're not generous, it actually hurts us. God is fine, okay? God, God doesn't sit up there going, oh, my checkbook's really low. I wonder what I'm going to do this month. God owns it all. The kingdom is going to be fine. The church is going to be fine. When we're not generous, the one who suffers is us because our Father promises great things for people who are generous. It's great things in our life, great things within our spiritual life. And when we're not generous... We're hurting ourselves. And God says, don't do that. Be generous. Then last week we were talking about this. Be ready. Well, actually, let's take a look at this passage so that you can see I'm not just making this stuff up. When Paul is writing to the church at uh, Corinth, he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly giving. In other words, Paul said to the church at Corinth, I, I know you promised to give, you want to give, but you don't have your plan. So come up with your plan, set it aside, because I'm going to send some friends in just a little while, and it better be ready. Get ready to be generous. 
Last week, we looked at this one. Be ready with your Jesus story, okay? We used to call this evangelism. We would call this sharing, witnessing, whatever it is. It's changed <clears throat> dramatically over the last 20 or 30 years. It used to be we would teach you theology, and that's what we wanted you to share was your theology so that you could argue somebody in the kingdom and let them know why they were a sinner and why Jesus Christ was the only way out. That uh, rarely works any longer. It did at one point, and it did because of the way the world thought, and it did because of the way the world saw Scripture. So when we said the Bible says, people went, oh, how about that? Today when you say, well, the Bible says, they're just as likely to go, so what? I don't believe the Bible, now what? And if all you're going to do is witness according to the Bible, you'll reach some. But what about the people who don't even believe in the Bible? That's why we want to tell our Jesus story. What has Jesus done? What, what has it happened in your life? And it's all about him. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. This is what scripture tells us. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We talked about that last week. You can get that online. Gentleness, respect. But mainly what we're talking about is let me tell you about Jesus. And if someone says, well, how does that work? We get to look at them and say, I don't know. I don't know. Because it's not my reasoning that's going to get them into the kingdom. If that's true, then only reasonable people will be able to accept the Lord. It's the power in the name of Jesus that breaks through hard hearts. You don't have to be able to explain it. You just say, I don't know. I just know that, man, I, before I knew Jesus, I, I, there was no point in my life there was no purpose i didn't even understand why i was here but since becoming a jesus follower there is a purpose in my life well how did jesus do that i don't know i don't know i can't tell you i just know he has that's a jesus story doesn't have to be long or involved now if you know some theology great but you know what don't really rely on your theology at least not until you're able to tell what jesus has done you that's your jesus story this morning we're going to look at one more time the bible tells us to be ready okay and let me read it for you right here paul is writing to the, to uh to titus titus is is one of his converts and uh, not quite as close as timothy was to, to paul but but titus was one of his converts and he left him uh he, he traveled with him for a little bit and he actually left him i believe on the island of crete and that's where titus is he's kind of in charge of a church and paul is going to write to this guy and, and give him a little advices you know you might want to do a mentor to to one of his protégés and this is what he says <clears throat> remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good can you figure out what the fourth thing we're supposed to be ready to do is to slander no one to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility towards all men at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of our, and love of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewed by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out as generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things, 
so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I love this. He's, he's talking to this young pastor, and he says, look, I want, want you to stress these things. I want you to stress the fact that, that we used to be like everybody else, but God in his mercy has saved us, not because of ourselves, not because of what we've done, but because of his mercy. And through the cross of Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed, and through the Holy Spirit, we have the gift. And that's what we used to be like. Now we're like this. And I want, he says, stress these things so that, stress all of that so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. What are we supposed to be ready for? To do good. To do good. Jesus' followers are supposed to be good people who do good works. Okay? We don't think like other people. At least we shouldn't. If we're a Jesus follower, our mind is, is in the process of being transformed into, into the way Jesus thinks. We, we think differently. Our priorities are different. We don't act like other people. Other people may act a little bit more in selfishness, which is the way we used to act, but we're supposed to be kind of above that thing. We don't act like other people. Now, what that used to mean long ago was that, that, that um, we keep ourselves pure, and we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls who do, that kind of thing, you know. When I grew up in a denomination, that's, that people took great pride in the fact that they didn't drink alcohol. And they took great pride in the fact that they didn't go to movies. And they took great pride in the fact that they didn't engage in mixed bathing, which was boys and girls swimming in the same swimming pool. Because that was evil. Okay? That's where I came to faith. That's what it meant to act differently. But that's not what Scripture means. You know what? As a Jesus follower, we're supposed to be nice people. Nice people. The kind of people everybody would like to know. Not because we look down our noses, not because we, we condemn any, because Jesus specifically said don't condemn people, don't judge them, don't look down on them. We're supposed to be nice people, the type of people, that, man, I would love to be friends with a Jesus follower because they're just so nice. That's us. Always ready to do what's good. Actually, one of the reasons that we're part of a church. Take a look at this passage right here. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who's promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. One of the reasons we come together is, okay, how you doing? Are you nice this week? Did you do something good? That's one of the reasons we're part of a church. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see that day approaching. As a matter of fact, doing good is so important. <laughs> being nice and being the type of people that just are good people, that if we don't do it, well, take a look at this. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, what's that word? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's pretty heavy-duty stuff, isn't it? It's not just an encouragement to do good. He says, oh, by the way, if you know what's good and you don't do it, ooh, whoa. 
Sometimes we make the gospel all about what we believe and personal purity. I believe the right things. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, and all the rest of it. And that's important. That's okay. And that personal purity, which Scripture also calls us to. But, but sometimes we leave it there. And actually, sometimes what happens is we take that, that knowledge that we have of it, sometimes puffs us up, and that personal purity, and, and we use it to kind of elevate ourselves above others and, you know, kind of looking down and, well, I'm better. And, and maybe I don't even want to get my hands dirty because doing good might mean I have to mingle with those who are not of the faith. Well, I'll give you four reasons why we should be ready to do good besides the fact Jesus and the Scripture tells us to. Let me give you four reasons. Then we'll talk about how we're going to do it. First of all, reason number one, it brings glory to God. When we're good people, when we're nice people, when we do good things, God is glorified. Jesus told us this in that greatest sermon that he ever preached. He said this, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Okay, there's a connection between doing good things and praising God. Let me give you an example. This last summer, this last, uh, summer just a couple months ago, we were in Florida, and uh, <coughs> Florida is known for its, its thunderstorms. And uh, I have, I'm 61 years old, and I've lived all my life here in the West, and I've been through several thunderstorms. I have never been through thunderstorms like I've been into Florida, particularly the last two years. I can tell you right now, never in my life have I ever been in a thunderstorm here in the West that even closely approaches what it is like to be in one of these massive storms in Florida. It is phenomenal. We went to help my, uh, my son close up. He was, son Christopher kind of sells the um, marshmallow stuff that he makes just for the fun little habit there. Little Kagan's Crossing, his little shopping area and and it was getting cloudy that day and we went to see his his little setup and um, we were about as far away Kagan's Crossing where he has his little stall is about the same distance from here to where Safeway is right over here in the corner okay just to show you distance we left him there and we saw the clouds were beginning to gather by the time we got to Walmart which is the same distance between here and Safeway okay so we're talking what is that a quarter mile half mile at the most by the time we got there it was raining so hard I've never seen it rain that hard. I dropped off Linda and her mom and Chelsea, and I went and parked. And by the time I walked into the store, I might as well have jumped into a pond, and that is not a, a pastoral exaggeration. I meant I was dripping because it was raining and it was dark. It was 7 o'clock at night. Sun wouldn't go down for an hour and a half, and it was black, completely black. And then the thunder started and the lightning. And for about 45 minutes, there was never a moment that there was not a flash of lightning somewhere. It was incredible. Nobody was leaving Walmart. Walmart was packed. And the entrance to Walmart, which had a little covered hanging, and people were just shoulder to shoulder. One, because they were waiting for it to go down so they could get to their car. And two, because this was a show. This was amazing. I'd only seen it one other time about a year before that. I'd been in Florida. And I was sitting nice and snug in a um, Starbucks watching this. And I actually watched a lightning bolt strike the, the pavement right there in the park. It was phenomenal when this thing happens. Incredible. I went out there and I was just watching because you just don't get to see a show like that very often. 
than always standing with everybody else. And wouldn't you know, some young mother just had to leave. Somebody pulled her car up and she had kids and this entire shopping cart full of stuff. But she had to leave. She had to get somewhere. So this guy standing next to me, never knew his name, younger guy, and we looked at each other and we said, let's do it. So we told her, you jump in the car, pop that trunk. And we push her shopping cart out to her car. Now, it's not just the pouring rain. I finally began to dry off by this point in time. But it's also flashes of lightning all around you thinking, okay, you know, Father, we could be having this conversation face-to-face really quickly. <laughs> I'm just hoping we don't. And this guy, and we just, we, we, we threw all of our stuff in, in, in the trunk and, and closed it and made sure everything was there, and we ran back and we're totally soaked, and she drives away. Now, do you think when she drove away, she said, what a couple of idiots? <laughs> or do you think when she drove away, she said, thank God somebody helped? When we do good, and this was a good thing to do, People glorify God. They say, thank you, Father, that there was somebody who helped me. Doing good brings praise and glory to God. But there's another thing that happens when we do good. We, we silence the, the enemies of the gospel. And there are lots of enemies of the gospel. And, and those people who would try to bring down the gospel in the church and to speak against it. And, and when we do good, it, it helps to silence them. There are times that we get slammed for what we believe. But most of the time we get slammed because they see us as hypocrites, because we don't live what we believe. One of the greatest tragedies that's happened within the church was in India. Great Britain, which is a Christian nation, um, ruled India for a couple hundred years. And yet when they left India, they didn't leave a Christian nation. They left a nation that was anti-Christian at the time. Oh, there'd been some inroads, but not through Great Britain. They left lots of traditions, but Christianity wasn't one of them. Even after a couple hundred years of running the country. Here's one. This is a quote from Gandhi right here. Mahatma Gandhi, who was the Indian who was very instrumental in being able to get the British to leave them alone. And he said this, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. You Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's, that shouldn't be. Hmm. This is what Scripture says. Do what's right then. If men, then if men speak against you, calling you evil names, they will become ashamed of themselves for falsely accusing you when you have only done what is good. Unfortunately, sometimes the slams that the church gets and Christ followers get are, are a little justified because we're far more concerned about what we believe than what we're doing. And um, when we do find Christians that do good things, they're really held up. Mother Teresa, I mean, have you ever heard anybody say something bad about Mother Teresa? And yet Mother Teresa, well known because of the good that she did. 
Here's another reason to do good. It's because one of the reasons I was created. God created you to do good stuff. He did. You were, actually came into this world to do good things. You don't believe me? Take a look at this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God said, you know, I'm going to bring a people into this world, and I'm going to create them. I'm going to save them by my grace and by my mercy, and I've got great things. As a matter of fact, I've been planning great things for them from the very, very beginning. Before they were even born or created, I had this idea of the good things I wanted them to do, and I will bring them into existence so that they can do them. Why you were created? One of the reasons, anyway. But here's one final reason, perhaps the most important reason, that we need to be ready to do good stuff and good things and good works and good deeds, and here it is, is because He has been so good to us. How ungrateful and how selfish if we take all the good things He has done for us, but we don't do good things for the people around us. So our selfish nature tends to say, I've got mine, you know? And that's all that's important. I got it. It's for me. I'm there. And that's the selfish nature kicking in. Sometimes we see it in the, in the debate on health care today. Now, I don't know where you stand on what kind of health care we should possibly have. But I've been concerned and, and a little disturbed by some who have health insurance and health care who seem to be satisfied and saying, well, I've got mine. It doesn't really matter about other people. Or, well, you know, I'm, I've got my, and I don't mind other people having health care as long as it doesn't cost me anything. I wish there was a good solution there. And while I'm not here to tell you what the solution is, I am here to tell you, be very careful if you're dissatisfied because you got it. And that's all there is. There should be more to us than that. We should want all people to have access, affordable access, to just the basic health care needs that we all have. And the fact that I have it, and my Father's provided for me through the church for many, many years. Thank you, Father. I have never once really had to worry about my health care needs. Simply because I have it doesn't mean that I should be satisfied with that. We need to be looking for some way to be able to say, Father, how can I help others? Well, that's what we do, see. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. It's not just saying, I've got mine. That's it. God is good to me. And that's it. No, it's, it's got to be more than that. This is what Jesus said. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. God was so good to us, which means that we need to be so good others. Now see, that's not normally the way we think, isn't it? We think of a reciprocity kind of thing. Great word, isn't it? Take that one home. Reciprocity. And it just means, okay, God is good to me. I am good to God. 
But our Father says, that's not the way it works in the kingdom. Let's turn that upside down. I will be good to you so that you can be good to the people around you. That's the way it works in the kingdom. Okay, so here we are. We need to be good. We have, scripture tells us now, how can we be ready to do good? There is a story from the life of Jesus I want to tell you. And from that story, we're going to see all the things that it takes to be ready to do good. Because Jesus was always ready to do good. Now, I'm going to read it to you. It's kind of lengthy. You've heard it before. But then I'm going to kind of unpack it a bit and show you the, the steps that Jesus took so that he was always ready to do good. Okay, now here, this, just to set you up, Jesus has been traveling around. And this particular time, he's been kind of going back and forth across a lake. And sometimes he goes across the lake and he talks to this group of people because they all crowd around and he goes and he crosses the lake and he talks to another group of people and almost using the, the lake as a, as a highway to go from town to town and area to area. So when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, so now he's at a different place, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. What do you think he was doing with that large crowd? What do you think? Tell me, what do you think Jesus would be doing with a large crowd? Teaching, okay. They're probably not just sitting back and enjoying. He's teaching, of course. That's what he does. But he's got this large crowd, he's teaching. Here's what happens. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years... She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? You've got to be kidding me. Everybody's been touching you. It's a crowd. But Jesus, looking around to see who had done it, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. She told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Then he goes on, and he gets to the house, and we pick up the story. And after he put them out, because there were a lot of people in the house and they didn't really believe he was going to do anything. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood and walked around. She was about 12 years old and they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Okay, now I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if you saw the steps that he took to be ready to do good, but we're going to walk through them right now. Okay, you understand the story, right? He's crossing back and forth the lake. He gets to some spot. Crowds all crowd around him like this. And while he's teaching, somebody comes up and says, hey, my little daughter is dying. He leaves the teaching. He goes with this person. While he's walking over to that house, a lady touches him, and she's healed, and he stops and talks with her. And then he goes from there into the house where he heals her. Okay, now are you ready? Here you go. Here's the number one thing we're going to have to do. We're going to be ready to do good. Don't be afraid of interruptions. Okay. Sometimes we can plan out our doing good. We, we, we plan on a missions trip, and so we, we, we plan to go down and do great things for God, and we plan it for a year in advance, and we raise the money. Sometimes we can plan, we're going to go help our neighbor, we're going to work at the community garden. We can plan those things out. But often the opportunity to do good is an interruption 
of our regular scheduled programming. And I hate it because I am a routine kind of guy. I love my regularly scheduled programming. I tend to have my Dale kind of planned out and um, I'm not all that fond of interruptions. And my father has had to teach me over the many, many years that I walk with him that sometimes the interruption is coming from him. I'm standing in Walmart trying to just enjoy the show and stay safe and an interruption shows up. And the next thing I know, I'm throwing groceries in the back of a car in the middle of a thunderstorm, getting soaking wet. Did you see how often Jesus was interrupted? Okay. Remember, what was he doing with those large crowds? He was teaching. What happened? Somebody interrupted. Jesus, my daughter is sick. Look, I know she's sick. Don't worry about it. As soon as I'm done teaching, I've got another 45 minutes, three points in a poem, and then we'll get to you, okay? Let's go. Interrupted. When's the next time he's interrupted? During the journey. This girl is dying, okay? She's dying. And does Jesus just beeline right there? No. Some lady. Now, when it says that she was bleeding, what does that mean? Come on. You know what it means. She probably had a menstrual flow for 12 years. You know what that meant for her? She was unclean. She could not be touched by anyone because anyone that touched her was now unclean and had to go through a cleansing for 12 years. Ladies, and she had no right to touch Jesus. She broke so many rules by doing this because she had to touch other people which made them unclean and she touched the Holy Son of God. But she was desperate. Now, what did Jesus do? Straight on to Jerry's house, there's a little girl dying? No. Interruption. Whoa! Who touched me? And the disciples, of course, go, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. This is a crowd. And he knew something had happened. And he could have looked at her and said, you know, it's been 12 years. Come, let's make an appointment and see me tomorrow, okay? I'm on my way to this little girl's house. How's 10 o'clock for you? Well, he stopped. Who did this? And she comes up to him. And what does he do? Chastise? Oh, your daughter. Well done. Your faith is saved. Healed you. Go on. Boom. Interruption. Don't be afraid of interruptions. Sometimes it's the interruptions that give us the opportunity to really do good. Sometimes we get so focused on the plan and the schedule that we don't see the opportunity that just shows right up. And sometimes we get so caught up in that plan and that schedule, even when we see the opportunity, we, we don't want to take it because my schedule is so important to me. Now, see, you may be a completely different type of person. I could give you a personality test and tell you what type you are. I'm not going to. 
But I've taken that personality test, and I know what kind I am. I'm like this and this and this. Okay, 215 here and 317 on there, and I'm going to do this. And I don't like to multitask. I want to do one thing until it's finished and then move on. That's me. My wife is, that the laughter is coming from Linda, okay? <laughs> so, just, and she's not laughing because I'm lying. She's laughing because she didn't know I knew that. And so she's, oh, he's, he's aware of all that. No, she's laughing because this is me. And my father sends these interruptions to do good. And I am so prone to say, not now, catch you later, do it later. How's three o'clock tomorrow for you? I've got to get this done. How many opportunities to do good have I overlooked in my life? Legion, I'm sure. Not because I didn't want to do good, but because I was afraid of an interruption. If you're going to do good, don't be afraid of interruptions. The next thing Jesus did, I don't know if you saw it, is he set priorities. He set proper priorities, okay? These interruptions come, not every interruption that comes to you is of a high enough priority to do something about. But he understood the priorities, okay? For right now, here's what I want you to do. Let's, uh, let's take a piece of paper. You've got it right there if you want to. And, and write down your priorities. What are your priorities? In order, what are your priorities? Take about, oh, 30 seconds and think about your priorities. What do you think your priorities should be? Write them down. And I'll give you about 30 seconds to think about that while we just hum along or do something else. What do you think your priorities would be? Kind of write them down and, and see what is your priorities, okay? We'll give you about another 10, 15 seconds to think about your priorities, okay? About ready? Number one, right here, just want to let you understand that if you have made a list, throw it away because you're already wrong. <laughs> priorities are not a list. Priorities are on a wheel. Let me show you. I kind of found this and adapt a little bit. It's not everything that I would do. I didn't, I'm not clever enough to create all that stuff. But here we have, first of all, Jesus at the very center. He's not at the top. He's the center. Jesus is not at the top of my life. He's the center of my life, okay? When you have a list, Jesus at the top. No, Jesus is not at the top. Jesus is at the center of my life, okay? Get that in your head. Everything revolves around him. Now look at all these priorities that we have. Church, family, money, chores, recreation, entertainment, all that kind of stuff. Every one of those at some point will be my highest priority. And the wheel turns. The problem with your list is you go, okay, well, my first list is church, and then my second list is family, and my third list is work. Okay, family always comes before work. No, it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. But does work always come before family? Of course not. Priorities shift. At some point, Every single one of those will be my highest priority, and the wheel shifts, and it goes right to the very top. And you've got to let it shift. I'll give you an, an example. Um, let's say that it's time that I need to write a sermon, okay? And that's what I do. That's, I spend hours writing sermons. But at the same time, the house is just an absolute mess, and I need to help clean it up. Guess what? My... my my wheel just turned because I've got time to write my sermon in a few days, but the house needs to be cleaned now. And I do help clean the house. As a matter of fact, when it comes to really scrubbing the bathrooms with those harsh chemicals, that's part of my job, which is probably why my hair is the way it is. <sighs> so suddenly the chores go zzzz and right up at the top. 
It's my highest priority at the moment. Everything else is kind of set aside because that's my priority right now. Or how about this? I set aside family time. Friday night, have a little family time. Take that family zoop, right up at the top. Okay. Get the phone call from somebody. And they say, hey, pastor, kind of down. Uh, got time for a cup of coffee? And I say, no. This is family time. See? That work, which is what I do as a church, and okay, that family time is, is important to me. So um, see you tomorrow. We'll have a cup of coffee. But that's not what happens. See, what they do is they call and they say, Pastor, my, my wife just left me. She packed up the kids and left. Suddenly the wheel turns a little bit and the family time is important. But I've got someone who's really in crisis at this point and so the priority switches and the wheel turns. Oh, but I forgot to tell you that that wasn't just family time. Let's say it was my daughter's 14th birthday. Guess what? That wheel just turned right back. I'm sorry. Um, maybe I'll s I can see at midnight, but this is my daughter's 14th birthday. And I'm staying right here. But what I didn't tell you is it wasn't somebody who just called because their wife left them. Somebody who called and said their family had just been in an automobile accident and three of them were killed and he was down at the hospital with the rest of them. Guess what? Even on my four daughter's 14th birthday, my wheel just turned again, didn't it? Sweetheart, I'm sorry. I'll do my best to make it up to you. But I need to go. If you have a list of priorities, you got it wrong. Your priorities are never on a list. They're on a wheel. And half the secret in life is knowing when to turn that wheel and what should be at the very and there'll be so many other things that'll come. For instance, Jesus is walking down this road and people are crowding in. Now, what do you think was happening as he was walking with all those people? Do you think they were all silent? What do you think they were doing? Jesus, Jesus, what do you think? Jesus, we know that people are constantly asking him questions. And what did Jesus do? He ignored them all. They weren't a high priority until what? Some lady who'd been bleeding for 12 years touched him. Bam! His wheel just shifted. Whoosh! And he took care of it. To do good, we're going to have to be ready for interruptions, but we're going to have to set our priorities, and your priorities are on a wheel. And one final thing, if we're going to do good, is simply this. Don't do good and expect recognition. We're going to do good. <laughs> there will be a lot of people who don't even know what we do. Do you remember that, what Jesus said? Remember all the good that he did? He, he was teaching, which was a good thing. Then it was interrupted to go with Jars, and that was a good thing. Then he's interrupted by this lady who's bleeding, and, and he turned, and that's a good thing. And then he goes into the house, and he heals this, this girl, who by this point in time, everyone thinks is dead, probably is dead. He took too long, but that's not a problem for Jesus. He leads somebody who raises from the dead. It's no big deal to him. He raises her. Do you remember what he said? Don't tell anybody about this. Give her something to eat, but don't tell anybody about this. By the way, why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus actually look at them and say, don't, don't talk about this? Any ideas? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because, of course, in our 
publicity-crazed world, we would say, now, here's what I want you, I want you to go door-to-door to door and tell everybody what I did here. That's what we would do. Jesus said, no, don't tell them. Why not? Jesus wasn't about the miracles. Jesus did these things because it was a good thing to do, not because of the publicity. Jesus was going to be known for his teaching. And if everybody went out there and talked about all these miracles, then pretty, pretty soon, guess what? People come. Why do they come to Jesus? For miracles. And since he's not going to raise every little girl, what happens when people aren't raised? Well, they turn around and walk away. Their faith isn't based on on Jesus. Their faith is based only on what they get from Jesus, and if they get what they want, they stick around for a little while, as long as he keeps giving it, and if suddenly he doesn't give what they want, then they're gone. And that's not the type of faith that Jesus is building. Don't tell anybody. Jesus did it because it was a good thing to do. Why? Can we do that? If we're ready to, to do good, the interruptions are going to come and, and we, we check them on that priority list that we have and the priority wheel that we have, can we do them and just let it be and not even have to tell the person that we're doing it for why unless they ask? If we, if we can do these things, if we can handle the interruptions, if, if we can understand that wheel of priority, how it shifts in our life, and if we can do it just to do good, now we are ready to do whatever is good. Look for it. I'm going to pray for you the same thing. I don't even want to pray this for me. I'd rather pray it for you. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to pray for both of us. That our Father would interrupt our regularly scheduled programming sometime this week. Which bothers me. But some interruption some opportunity to do good. Not something you're planning here tonight. If there's something you want to plan, that's great. You can sit there, you know, my neighbor needs their leaves raked up or this or the community garden needs something to this afternoon. Those are good things to do. Plan your good things. But you'd be surprised how much good can be done for the kingdom of God just through the interruptions that come throughout your day. Look for them. Then decide whether it really is the priority. Not every interruption is going to be priority. Sometimes in many of your interruptions, you know, make an appointment. See you tomorrow. But every now and then that wheel is shifted. And then do it just to do it. Not so that you'll get praise or an extra jewel in your crown. Just because you and I were created to do good works. Take a look at this last passage right here. Read it with me, will you? Let us not become weary in doing good. Stop right there. Wow. Sometimes doing good does wear you out. Let's do that one more time. Ready? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, interruptions, let us do good to all people. Christ followers are nice people who do good just because we're created to do good.
for those who are going to help me with the communion, if you'd come forward, please. There they are, right over here. Now, we've looked at four things about being ready. Being ready for his coming, being ready for, uh, to, be, to be generous, being ready for Jesus' story, being ready to do it. There's other things within Scripture, but this is all we have time for. Beginning next Sunday, I'm gonna, we're going to switch gears and move into a sermon series. I want to encourage you to invite your friends. It's, it's called Getting Healthy. We're going to look at this fall about what Scripture tells to us about getting healthy, and that includes our physical health, our emotional health, and spiritual health, our financial health, and relational health. It's going to take us all the way through Thanksgiving. We're going to try to make the gospel and the Bible as practical as we can for people who think that it's just a theory book. Be practical about what it means to get healthy. And we'll start that next Sunday. We'll send out some, in, some uh, more notices about that, but this would be a good one to invite some friends to and say, look, let's see what the Bible says about getting healthy. One of you would like to stand over here then? We're going to move into what we call our Selah time. And during Selah, just think about it. Think about the things that we've talked about. Getting ready for his return, getting ready to be generous, getting ready for the Jesus story, being ready to do good. Okay? I have to constantly give my schedule to my father because I don't like it interrupted. But so many good things happen in those interruptions. During our Selah time, the altars will be open. I think the praise team has a song, and we are, we'll be serving communion. The way we do it here is called open communion, which just simply means anybody who's here is welcome to come and receive. You don't have to go through a class. You can be a first-time visitor and come receive the elements. Some people come almost every Sunday for the elements. Others only occasionally. That's fine. That's up to you. And while we're also during Salo, we have a slide right here. Let's put this up if we can. That uh, meditation slide. Because each week during Selah, we're going to give you something else to pray for. Because some of you, maybe this is not an issue for you, so you don't have to worry about it. These are the three kids we support. This church supports those three kids. We send $30 per month each time for each one of those kids. And they, that's used for their education and for their clothing and for their food. Here they are. Darylin from Ecuador. Princess, I love Princess Robe. Don't you love that name? From the Philippines. And Kenderson Sile from Haiti. If you don't have anything else to pray for during this time, would you lift them up? Because the money that we send is important. But some of them are living in poverty that you cannot possibly imagine. Pray for them. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this cup is the new covenant. My blood shed for forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. For as often as you do eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do remember the Lord's death until he comes again. Father, thank you so much. Unfortunately, sometimes our selfish nature takes over, and maybe we're not the nicest people. And maybe we just receive the good things from you, but we don't really... Share them. Father, okay, it's past, it's done. Thank you for your forgiveness. Would you just show us, Father, the good that we can do in your name? Thank you, Father. Amen.